Don't let siloed security tech get in the way of protecting your business. Cisco XDR simplifies security operations, empowering teams to act on what truly matters faster. Discover Cisco XDR at cisco.com slash go slash XDR. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. I am flying solo today, but I am joined by a colleague of mine in a way, Paul Vandeboer, who is coming to us from the Prosys AI Group. Hi, Paul. Hello, Ben. Good morning. So for folks who don't know, Stack Overflow was acquired by Prosys last year, and Prosys is an extremely large and well-thought-of tech investor. They have a whole portfolio of companies, including a number in the ed tech space, of which Stack Overflow is one. And I've gotten the chance to hang out with Paul once or twice to talk about what's happening in the world of AI, which is fascinating to me. Wanted to have him on the show today to talk a bit about what he's working on, how Prosys sees the world of AI developing, how the companies in the portfolio are using it, and some of the stuff we see coming down the pipe, a lot of which is kind of mind-blowing. So Paul, thanks for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So give folks who are listening a little bit of a background. How did you get into the world of technology and then maybe AI? And how'd you wind up at the role you're at today? So I actually started uh, in, the, in the world of aerospace engineering. Um, started mm. my, uh, my undergraduate in that space. And at some point in my, after my, doing my undergraduate, I started working for uh, Siemens for their hydro unit in India, actually specifically to try and build a software product that would mm-hmm. automate their design. So they've got these design standards across these hydro turbines that was all done sort of manually by a small group of, you know, very smart and experienced uh, engineers in Germany. Right. They wanted to figure out, can we automate this using some, some, some software? So that was when I actually started to get into more of the software ML, uh, you know, decision-making systems. Right. And then at some point got into, uh, decided I wanted to do a PhD, went to the U.S. with Carnegie Mellon. I did my PhD there, um, and uh, at some point after that, joined industry, went into consulting for a little bit, and uh, got very much involved in data science for social good, a foundation that I'm still part of uh, today, to try and see how we could apply some of the, you know, AI and machine learning tools that we had already, you know, many years ago, 10 years ago, uh, in, in, let's say, in the domain of social good problems. Mm. And after some time, uh, then joined Prozis to help uh, build the AI team that we have now set up a couple of years uh, back. Right. Very cool. So yeah, I mean, when Prozis, when I first heard about it, uh, it was actually, you know, through the uh, acquisition of Stack Overflow. I think it's perhaps a bit more well-known globally than it is in the U.S., but, you know, in some ways it's an investor like a VC, in some ways it's it's a holding company, in some ways, you know, it has its own operations. So what does it mean for Process to have an AI team? What do you work on and how does that impact what Process does or how companies in the portfolio are able to use AI? Yeah, this is a great question because actually it's, uh, it's not one that has an obvious answer, right? There's tons of investors out there. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find any with a with an AI team the size of ours uh, to help their their investee companies. Right. But there's a very good answer to the question, and that is that you know Pros is, as, as you mentioned is a uh, very large, uh, one of the world's largest tech investors. So we've got many large technology companies, of course, Stack Overflow being one of them, but many others in the space of food uh, delivery, uh, but also marketplaces, fintech. All over the world, uh, many of them equal or larger than Stack Overflow with large tech and, and development teams. And, uh, you know, with with that portfolio of companies, you know, already many years ago, uh, 
folks at Prozis realized there was a big opportunity for accelerating the use of machine learning throughout the group. Right. And, and one way to do that was to basically build the AI team that we have today centrally, which is actually a relatively small team, uh, about a dozen people or so mm-hmm. that are all experts in the sense that they've, you know, have quite a bit of many years of experience under their belt. And then, you know, through that, uh, basically help the portfolio companies accelerate you know, what they do in the free field of machine learning, bigger, better, faster. Yes. Uh, you were kind enough to invite me to a process AI event recently, you know, a bunch of portfolio companies get to hang out and immediately I can sort of see what the value is because you hear companies like you said, who work in classifieds or food delivery talking about how they use AI to optimize everything from, you know, delivery times to marketing. And then I say, oh, well, I'm in marketing. Can, you know, could we use something like that? And then I go back and talk to our data science team, or maybe you can reach out to a colleague and ask them how they built that. So it was really interesting, yeah, to get to hear from companies that are working in, like you mentioned, you know, India and Brazil, you know, where they have maybe a completely different perspective on their local market or on how things are done globally, but all working to figure out how to build better software. And it was the first time, I guess, for me that, yeah, I sort of got to experience like a process family event. So that was kind of cool and obviously easy to see how companies can learn from one another. There were a lot of talks given that day about things people had productized or built and stuff of that nature. Yeah, I'm happy uh, you could join. I mean, the, you know, the, this event called the Pros AI Marketplace was something we started only three years ago when we realized, at that time, by the way, the community was much smaller, right? But the, we realized this global community of data scientists, which is at the time, maybe in the high double digits, uh, yeah. globally was working on very similar problems, sometimes in similar domains, right? The food delivery teams in India doing something similar to the ones in, in Brazil and other parts of the world, but also sometimes, you know, across very different domains or geographies like search and discovery, personalization happening right. across the marketplaces and so on. And, and these teams weren't necessarily aware of what each other, of each other, right? And what they were doing. So we started to organize this, this event called the marketplace really, you know, in, in name also to kind of represent a marketplace, right? It's a vibrant community where folks exchange ideas, right. exchange things, ideas, products, knowledge, get inspired by each other. And so we did it again this year, indeed. So happy, glad that you could join. By now, the community is, uh, you know, over 500 people. So that's grown quite substantially, including our Stack Overflow, uh, you know, representation. So it's great to have everyone part of the family now. For sure. So yeah, I guess, you know, some of the things that were discussed on there, I would love to dig in with you a little bit. As you mentioned, some of what's exciting about AI now is the approaches, you know, when we look out to the different kinds of models and transformer models that are used, that allow AIs to maybe learn in one domain, but then easily learn in another, or to take learnings from one domain and apply it elsewhere. What are some of the things you see that are most exciting that are happening right now within, you know, not just our family of companies, but the space more broadly? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, as you know, the, the event, the theme of the event was generative AI. And uh, yeah. a lot of the models that are, you know, we see today in generative AI are predicated on on, on the transformer architecture uh, that mm-hmm. you mentioned. And while that's been around, you know, since 2017, when, when basically uh, some of these papers and the research around this was published, we see that now recently there's been really a sort of breakthrough in terms of applications and, and the quality of, of the tools and models that, that, that folks are building yeah. uh, across many use cases. And so there's a ton of things to be excited about. I mean, primarily, you know, more recently, folks will have seen, you know, work on, on uh, let's say, diffusion models uh, using text prompts to generate images. We see some applications of that within the group, but also specifically large language models. And we've been working with them, you know, since since the beginning, right? Since the early GPT uh, came out, <laughs> GPT-2 right. and so on. 
playing with those. And now that, you know, that set of models and not just GPT, right? There's, there's a whole family almost every week. There's a new one being released now increasingly, sure. by the way, good news being that many of them are not open or open source. Yeah. And the capabilities of these models, thanks to the size and the improved techniques that we have are really mind blowing. And so tons of exciting opportunities in, you know, across the, across our portfolio, especially in the education technology space, but also many of the others, which I'm sure, you know, folks will see a lot of in the next uh, couple of months. Yeah, it really does feel like we're going through sort of an, an AI renaissance. You know, there was an initial sort of turning of the wheel, uh, you know, with the image net challenges and the realization that this neural net approach with, you know, people have been striving away at for decades, but not able to quite get there. Now we had reached a point in terms of computation and data where maybe we could start to make breakthroughs. And then more recently, it feels like, again, you know, there's been a turning of the wheel. And I think to your point, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of it has to do with, and this is speaks to your background, this intersection of academia, open source, and industry where, you know, people are able to share one another's work and build on it. And even if things are proprietary, you know, and can be productized, they can also be a stepping stone for others to kind of continue to take AI forward. Do you see this as something unique? Is this something we've seen before in software? How do you look at sort of this confluence of different sort of sectors that are powering the rapid evolution and growth of some of these AI techniques and models? Yeah, well, it's it's certainly as you describe, it's, it, it starts to feel like a renaissance, right? We have people ask us all the time, uh, the, you know, the pace of development, is it slowing down? Is it accelerating? And sometimes it's hard to convey the excitement that we see when we're in the middle of it, right? I mean, all of the different developments coming <laughs> right. through, it really is mind blowing if you, you know, even look back half a year ago and then see what we have today on, on some of these uh, generative models. It's, it's quite impressive. Uh, but of course, the work that's been, you know, that's at the foundation of a lot of these technologies isn't from the last six months, right? It's, it's actually much, a lot of this work has been happening for the last decade or so. And, you know, truth be told, you know, most of the work actually happens within a relatively small uh, number of, of, of research groups, you know, whether they're corporate or academic, increasingly corporate. And uh, that was, you know, the, I mean, let's say from our point of view, that wasn't not necessarily good, right? You'd like to have be that to be more distributed and more sort of in let's say a centralized fashion. But right. ha- what we have seen though in the last um, again twelve months or so is that again I think to everyone's surprise, while we were kind of assuming AI and its research and you know, partially because of data assets and so on was by nature cent- central endeavor, centralized right. endeavor, right? Uh, increasingly, you actually have these collectives that are able to really make significant breakthroughs that are at the level of some of the state of the art work that was initially done by by corporate labs so think of yeah. you know the stable diffusion folks mm-hmm. um you know hugging face obviously being a great example eleuther which are also linked to stability ai which are really um you know paving the way for also let's say a model that is decentralized and right. more open in nature which you know in the end would benefit will benefit or is benefiting already uh, many yeah. of us yeah you'll have to remind me the name of the gentleman who came on who does an annual sort of state of ai report um, Nathan we'll Nathan. To, yeah 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 we'll link to some of his stuff in the show notes that's public but what he said echoing you that i thought was super fascinating was right we were used to seeing big breakthroughs from the deep mind and you know the meta labs and things of that nature the open ai but now what we see is when they release something, everybody's in these open source communities, you know, these sort of centralized, you know, groups that include academics and hobbyists and researchers gets together and a week later, they've recreated it. And then they're working on their own version of it. And then somebody's forking it. So I think that's probably 
to me, what's so exciting, especially at a place like Stack Overflow, is that you could go choose to work at a big place like this or pursue a PhD, or you could just be involved, you know, as a hobbyist or, you know, as a startup or as a solo practitioner. And that kind of open access, I think, is, you know, pretty deeply aligned with what we do here at Stack Overflow, allowing people to be curious and give each other answers and, you know, figure stuff out on their own. So I thought that was super cool. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and what's also nice is that if you if you listen to or you look closely at some of the work that some of these collectives are doing, it really is innovative, right? Because by nature, they're more constrained in terms of resources, right? Both compute, right. but also uh, talent. Uh, mm-hmm. And so let's say, let's say if you listen to Imad, who's uh, one, you know, the founder of, of Stability AI, he describes how that team was really focused on, you know, making that initial, you know, gigabyte model that was doing this stable diffusion much more efficient to the point that, you know, I can run it on my Apple MacBook, right? And so they're <laughs> yeah. really figuring out, like, how do you compress this so, you know, right. we can do this, don't need all the compute. So they've also done quite a lot of work on uh, on making this work more accessible to anybody, right? You don't need a GPU that, that costs you a lot of money right. uh, to to run it anymore uh, on the cloud, right? So the, that's, that's one of the big sort of contributions of these collectives that you see is, yeah. uh, you know, the efficiency uh, uh, aspect of, of this work. Yeah, it has been a really interesting sort of new development to say, you know, not only can this be accessible at home, but there is an approach that just says more data and not necessarily massive compute can have you know results that sometimes are as interesting or as powerful before you know we were just thinking about it in terms of like well you know how many right you know teraflops are you able to to to, to throw at this but now you know parameters become equally as interesting and so I think that's a very cool development and yeah more accessibility so I guess you know I, I wanted to ask you specifically to talk about a few of the achievements you know that that have happened recently that you see as very exciting and reflect a little bit on sort of the near term. You know, you mentioned GPT. I saw something interesting come out just this week. I think maybe Galactica it was called, where you know it's it's kind of like a Wolfram Alpha, but uh, at another level. You know, write me up an article on you know mitosis, and it just spits it out, or explain this formula to me, and you know it gives you a rendering of it. It's kind of like a Jarvis for you know science and physics and things of that nature. Where do you see this technology headed, and where are you excited? You know to play with it yourself or to see companies, you know, at process and elsewhere leverage it? Yeah, well, this is so I mean, one of the things that we see is that increasingly these models are, are becoming open, right? So Galactica mm-hmm. was really was developed by Meta and was made open. And I, I'm not sure, but I think there's a developing story that they just shut it down because folks were uh, prompting it with uh, certain things that were, you know, re- giving results that were not really Uh-oh. acceptable. So I, I don't right. know. The you got to be careful. But, uh, the Microsoft yeah. chatbot uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't, um, yeah. So don't give me a good I'm argument sure. for eugenics here. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so I'm not sure what happened there, but I, I, okay. I did see some uh, things come by that they, they temporarily shut down the, the, the model. And, but anyway, so I think the, the, the fact that these models are, you know, let's say publicly accessible also, you know, to be scrutinized in such ways to see what we can, can and cannot use them for yet. Because of course, a lot of this technology is still, you know, um, developing and we, 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 we need to figure out what it, we can and cannot use it for in a safe and responsible way. Right. But if you look at the applications and things that are exciting, well, just first of all, on, the, on, on, on the, let's say the development of these large language models, if you... Uh, see the things that they can do today, some of the latest versions of these models. I mean, it really is mind-blowing, right? Yeah. It's hard to describe uh, what some of the state of the art uh, in this field can do today in terms of answering questions, you know, 
reasoning through certain problems, providing uh, explanations of code, even suggesting code snippets. You know, we've seen product. This is uh, some of these models making their way into products like GitHub Copilot. Right. So I have no doubt that you know we're we're just on the bottom of the S curve, right? And and we'll see mm. more exciting stuff come out in the num- coming months from say some of these models that that, that uh, you've already seen. And in terms of the applications, you know, we're we're trying some some things in the group that are very much uh, probably along the the lines of what folks have seen. So one example is actually uh, taking errors that sometimes you know when you get in, in, a, in a code compiler or whatever that are not. Uh, easy to understand, especially for right. learners, early beginner uh, beginners of, of certain programming languages, and trying to help basically use these large language models to help the learner understand where this error came from, mm. and then what next action they should take or how they should improve the code that they're working on. So this is something that uh, that we've actually put in production in, in one of our companies called Solo Learn, where it's uh, it's actually been you know very helpful to to learners. The feedback has been extremely positive. And there's you know applications of you know basically creating more accurate descriptions of, of content, uh, helping users generate content in a more uh, let's say high quality fashion. And so I think this this will sort of continue to happen as these models come out of the research labs you know, make their way into products right. across our portfolio and probably uh, without any doubt across, you know, many other businesses as well. And, you know, what's one of the most interesting things now is that while the language models were already doing really well and we're seeing, let's say, good enough levels of, of maturity to make their way into products, you now have these multimodal models that are also doing the, showing the same capabilities or stable diffusion as the, the, you know, the Hallmark one, but you have Midjourney, Dali 2, and so on that uh, are powered by things like Clip, which you probably know, an open source model from OpenAI that does sort of the embeddings of uh, text and images together to be able to make that jump between images and text. And the next step that we're starting to see early uh, Mm -hmm. examples of is giving these language models the ability to interact with other tools. So actually to be able to take actions. And Mm. uh, I think that will be another step change. They've got a language model. Imagine you ask it, something about you know a math question right now one of the emergent properties of these language models is that they can do some basic arithmetic but they can't really understand more complex math but now imagine you know you give you ask a math question and the language model knows this is related to some computation and you give it access through some api otherwise to a calculator Mm. right and now it can actually run that calculation and retrieve the actual factual you know uh, the correct answer the right. same is true for other things. If you're asking it for a fact, it might know it can go to a Wikipedia search engine and search for that fact in a reliable knowledge base. Maybe if you're asking it to do some action related to booking something on a website, you know, you can give it a set of actions to choose from in that sort of user interface that you know, a human would use on a website to actually carry out this action. So it becomes not just a large language model as we've seen it today, which with a prompt that gives you a return, but actually a prompt that has access to various APIs that can actually right. uh, carry out actions through, let's say. Right. I'm imagining the, the Stanley Kubrick scene where the ape first picks up the tool here. So I think, yes, we could uh, be making it could be. big steps it could forward. Be. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to ask you before we finish up that I thought was really interesting, you and I had had a discussion before and you mentioned your beginning in the world of, you know, hydro turbines and thinking about design and uh, fluid dynamics, things of that nature was some of these AI models ability to understand the natural world and the real world in a way that is almost disarmingly effective. So take a look at some, you know, a, pic- a close up picture of a retina and tell me if this person, you know, is at risk for heart disease or, you know, alpha fold, like 
Uh, I'm going to give you, you know, some ideas about how this protein might be assembled. And you're going to come back to me with something with a, you know, high degree of confidence that would have taken years in the lab with a, you know, mass spectrometer to figure out. What is it about the sort of current, you know, uh, AI and their capabilities that allows them to interact with the natural world in such an interesting way? Is it the pattern finding abilities? Um, I don't know. To me, that's one of the things that, you know, sort of like gets me excited, just the thought of uh, it, because it's like, it's showing us, it's it's opening up a window on the natural world um, in a way that, you know, might be difficult for us. And in a way that we're recognized that they're showing us things that are new, kind of like AlphaGo was like, you know, people have been playing Go for 10,000 years, but we, you never you never tried this strategy before. You know, we've been looking at these proteins for a long time, but you didn't actually realize if you just turn it like upside down like this, you know, maybe you have a useful medicine. What is it about these systems that allows them to to interact with the natural world in that way? To be honest, I think we don't understand it all that well, as, as, as yeah. certainly not as well as we would like. You know, when, when you think about language models, which we've talked about now multiple times, but the, this was just one of the sub techniques that we had or sub, mm. you know, uh, let's say model categories that we used to have in, in, in deep learning or machine learning more broadly. Right. And uh, it turns out, and, and, you know, and that was basically a technique where you take a token out and you mask it, right? And you ask the model to learn to predict what the next token was or what the, you know, the relationship between words and a vector and so on. And it turns out that if you actually, with that simple uh, task, and enough data, you know, like uh, some of these large language models, eight years of the internet and, you know, the <laughs> large corpus right. of books and so on, they can learn much more than just, you know, predicting the next token, right? right? They can start some of, you can start to see some of these emergent properties like basic arithmetic, like basic understanding. If you ask it, you know, what happens to uh, ice when I take it out of the fridge, right? It, it will answer that, you know, it will melt. And how, you know, how does it understand? Does it really understand, let's say, the right, physics right. behind that? No, I don't think so. We don't think so. But it does certainly start to comprehend some of the relationships that, you know, we would describe as, you know, the physical world. Right. And uh, because this te- technology is relatively nascent, right? So a couple of years old, we're still, I think, asking and figuring out, like, well, how exactly um, does this level of understanding work and right. how far can we push it yeah yeah exactly it's uh it makes you at least feel that it's sentient sometimes not something you want to say out loud but uh you know it is interesting very cool hello everybody welcome back to the special coda here at the end of the episode i am back with paul we had our conversation about ai prior to the release i believe of gpt4 and things that have spun off of that. And so much has changed. I wanted to make sure I invited Paul back just quickly to chat about what's happened. He predicted the next token in the sequence very successfully. We listened to the old episode and he had a lot of things to say about agents and APIs and AIs using tools. So Paul, I know you're, yeah, you're very close to the subject. So you got a lot of it right even before the news came out. But what has been your take on the sort of overwhelming, you know, last four or five weeks of news that has come out about the world of generative AI and the real pivot from so many big technology companies to say, we now need to focus here. Like this is the maybe next platform shift and this is where we want to put our focus. Yeah, great. Uh, Thanks, uh, Ben. I think there's a couple of things that have happened since we spoke last. I think, uh, you know, this has really accelerated into the mainstream. And and, and in some ways, the hype has, 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 you know, really, (laughs) really gotten even even hypier. Yes. And so, uh, but one of the things that there's actually a few things that have happened as a a result that are extremely cool for us that, that I think everybody else is also seeing out there. And one of them 
is this process of collective discovery that is happening, you know, across, you know, all sorts of teams, companies, countries, both inside Prozis and, and, and out there in a very public way, in, you know, in trying to figure out how do we actually use these models for things we care about. And mm-hmm. um, of course, we, we were working on these things for, for a long time, but in some ways we are very limited by what we work on, the world we see, the world we live, the problems we face. And now having, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people play, playing with these tools uh, in, in this process of collective discovery has been extremely interesting and valuable, I think, for, for everyone that's looking to, to you know, rethinking how, how we build products, how we redesign the learning experience and, and you know, basically adapt the businesses we have to, to use these tools. Right. I think at the same time, a lot of folks have also gone out there and, and sort of, you know, launched products and so on that they're now uh, trying to build on top of these tools that, that, that we spoke about last time that are now, you know, much more generally available. And so it's exciting to see what those products, you know, can now do and, 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 and you know, the, the vast users that they can reach through all these companies that are trying to, to launch things on top of that. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's been interesting for people to say, all right, we now know that there are some amazing capabilities for working with language, being a, a reasoning agent, you know, on top of a body of text. What does that mean for me? And, and folks have applied it like a Bloomberg, you know, applied it to their financial data. And now you can, you know, speak to that data in a more natural language way. Other folks have applied it to their search engine. You know, what if we replaced lexical search with semantic search? You know, what would that look like? And there's been an amazing, you know, sort of surge of interest in kind of obs- what was previously obscure worlds of technology. Vector databases are now the hot thing and everybody's talking about how they work and, you know, tokens and embeddings. And so for folks in the software industry and people like you and me who are interested in technology, it's a cool time. I also want to point out, I agree, you know, that some things have jumped the shark. Auto, GPT, you know, was the thing that was really big in the hype cycle uh, over the last week or so. You know, you can ask it to do something and it'll start spinning up agents to do different things. And I see people posting examples, you know, solve world hunger and auto GPT comes up with a few ideas and makes a Twitter account, but, you know, it doesn't really get very far in executing on its grand plan. So things that are exciting and also things that are overhyped at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I think if there's one thing that uh, I really take away from, you know, how we spend our time today is that, you know, there's a big gap between the proof of concepts that are really easy to, to you know, get mm-hmm. out there either through right. social media, through little demos and so on that you can just post and share with folks because they're very easy and cheap to kind of put together. The gap between those and actually building a product that, right. you know, users will use time and time again and isn't just a, a parlor trick and behaves in a way that's safe and responsible and adheres to sort of all the other, you know, quality and service levels that we would normally uh, you know ascribe to the the products we put out there at, at the scale that we have at least in the process group the gap between those two worlds is 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 still very large right and so for me sort of the subtitle of where we live today is sort of the building is just starting right so we're yeah. really just starting in, 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 to think about how uh, these tools will need to make their ways into products that operate at scale you know with with not just you know tens of people you know one out of the five times but you know with millions of people nine out of ten or nine point nine 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 out of ten times <laughs> in the way that we that we expect right and so right. doing that requires uh, a, a tremendous amount of work uh, on, on essentially redesigning the stack the software engineering stack that we need to put in place mm. all the way from this model, whether that's a commercial API, 
or a model that we we build in house to all of the uh, let's say middleware, whether that's routing between different models, the evaluations of the outputs, you know, basically managing how you call different models at different points in time, to the steering of these models through, of course, the prompt engineering, the prompt chaining, but also the moderation and so on. Then the piece that has to do with how this, these models and this this whole workflow interacts with the external world, whether those are knowledge bases, we talked about vector search databases, you, you know, we know that there are ways to interact with other sorts of tools that actually allow you to take actions, whether it's Zapier or things like that. And then sort of right. the application interface where we need to be, and, and you know, people sometimes underestimate this, but we need to be really clear to users of, of these tools, you know, how these answers, how this content is being generated, uh, making sure that the user, you know, still applies a judgment on top of the things that they're, they're seeing and the content that's being presented to them, capturing their feedback, uh, you know, keeping them alert on where they need to pay more attention to to validate the answers right. of, of of the tools that that they're sort of working under the hood. So that entire workflow, the entire let's say stack that needs to come together right. for these things to move from a very, you know, catchy demo to something we can reliably you know put in production at scale. That's a lot of work, and that's a and that's the kind of stuff I get excited about because you know we need to build things and tools and frameworks and teams and organizations to be able to do this. And all of that is unexplored territory. And so right. uh, you know we're spending a lot of time on, on figuring out how do we do this you know within our teams uh, within the group in a way that we can you know learn from each other. I think that's also by the way the exciting part of being part of an ecosystem like Prose is because we've got yeah. you know, hundreds of thousands of developers in, in, in the group that can collaborate. Right, yeah. and share knowledge on these topics and how to build things uh, in the way we, we think is right. Yeah, this must be an exciting time for you. I'm sure you're, you're in high demand. All the portfolio companies want to sort of pick your brain and hear about what you've been working on. You know, you mentioned in the previous one that, yeah, you have been close to the GPT type models for a long time. Um, and so, yeah, I know you're traveling the world now trying to help all uh, different process companies in different sectors as they do hackathons or things of that nature, you know, figure out how to work with this. And as you said, yeah, maybe one of the most exciting things that's happening is everyone's figuring out how to realign, you know, can we be a gen AI first or gen AI powered company? The same way people you know, said in the past, hey, we, you know, we need to be an internet you know, company of some sort now. Hey, we need to be a mobile company of some sort now. And eventually it will just be table stakes. Nobody will talk about it that way. It'll just be like, well, every company is mobile to the degree that it needs to be. But right now people are trying to figure out how do we realign around this powerful new set of tools, you know, this powerful new sort of mode of operating um, so that we can make the most out of it. And it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, I think uh, just coming back to, I mean, you're right. The folks are really trying to spend a lot of time in understanding uh, what, what all this is, what it means for them, what it means for the, you know, the, the teams that are working on products. Do they need to all of a sudden start learning how to do prompt engineering or, or you know, the, the so-called hottest new skill? I'm not, you know, I think for me, it's very important to distinguish between all the hype and, and the things that we we actually are ready to to start shipping, and uh, while you know that entire new stack I just described, you know we're, we're we're building we're building the bridge as we're crossing it essentially. That that's one thing that we're doing. We also need to be aware that there's lots of other things we need to figure out and and you know proceed with with, with caution and, and and wisdom. Let's say on on how do we and judgment. Uh, actually, I should say on you know what are the use cases we feel confident we can you know already go go to the users with. Um, and which are the ones that we, you know, sort of operate more in the background. And I think this is something that uh, because we've been playing with these tools for many years and sort of the early incarnations have developed, a, you know, a, a useful amount of intuition around where whether it's generating content uh, for, you know, for learners and so on, you know, all of these things right. we always have you know, insert this kind of stuff into uh, workflows that have 
experts, right? Subject matter experts that can, you know, exercise judgment on whether the answer is actually ready to be to be shared with with external users. So while it's it's maybe interesting and tempting to start using these tools to, um, you know, basically create output that immediately gets sent to users, I think we, right. we go back to the things we've been doing for for a long time and make sure that you have this human in the loop, as we say. Uh, look at this generated content uh, so that, it, you know, in that way, you can help the, the, these teams, you can augment them, you can amplify their knowledge, because you know, they don't need to spend the time creating stuff sometimes from scratch, but instead can really spend the time on, on you know, using their expertise, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, creating answers of their own, sometimes uh, evaluating and steering uh, the answers generated by some of these tools. And so uh, in a way, it's uh, it's also all summing this all, all up. It's also about setting the expectations right, right? So we're, the building mm-hmm. has just started. Yeah. Uh, you know, while we do have an intuition on how these models work, they change all the time. So, uh, you know, starting with the use cases we think are are, are the ones that, that are, are ripe for basically presenting to users. And then over time, you know, maturing, you know, our thinking and, and, and then eventually also how, how these businesses start using uh, these tools and, and, you know, in every way that we think uh, makes sense. Yeah, it's been a real privilege for me because I'm passionate about this subject to get to chat with the folks on the process AI side. And like I said, you know, I think it's really helpful to us as an organization and I'm sure all of your portfolio companies to have folks who have been in this world of GPT for years, you know, who didn't just start thinking about this when ChatGPT came out, but was involved with it closely over its longer development. And that's, I think, what, you know, led you to be able to, you know, sort of accurately predict a lot of, you and I had the conversation a couple of weeks before, and you said, you know, what's going to be really interesting is when we see them start to become APIs and use tools and act as agents. And, you know, that has proven true. Those are some of the sort of developments that have spiraled outwards as people started to play with this stuff um, that have really made a lot of news. And I guess, as you said, yeah, what's really interesting is that we kind of knew where it was headed, but now that it, things are open source and the whole world gets to experiment with them, play with them, we'll start to see use cases and new functionalities develop that you know we never would have thought of just on our own. So it's going to be it's going to be a wild ride. Buckle up. I think so. Absolutely. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. We are going to shout out someone who came on Stack Overflow, uh, shared a little bit of knowledge and helped the community, awarded two days ago to Suvayu, a lifeboat badge for saving a question with a negative score, giving it an answer, and now it's got a score of three or more. How to put a big centered thank you in a latex tile. If you've ever wanted to thank somebody in a latex tile, we have the solution for you. I'll put it in the show notes. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at stackoverflow.com. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. Great. So my name is Paul Vanderboer. I'm senior director of AI at Prozis. My role here is to help the folks in the in the portfolio of Prozis do machine learning bigger, better, faster. If you want to look, have a look at what we do, uh, we've got a AI and tech blog that you can uh, check out through Medium, the Prozis AI tech blog where we write about our articles and you can find us there. Any questions, we'd love to get in touch. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon.